Welcome to the Ridge Community Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button and find us online at theridgecc.com. At our website, you can catch up with everything that's happening at The Ridge, watch previous messages, and learn more about who we are. If you want to watch services live, you can catch them every Sunday via our online community at live.theridgecc.com. We hope this message inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, hey, I want to welcome everybody as we are in week three of our annual Live Big initiative, which is a series we do every year that we just get the opportunity to impact a lot of lives. Now, if you're new with us, you don't know anything about Live Big, Live Big is something that we do every year where we challenge our entire church and anyone else who wants to be a part of it. We have people uh, every year that, that step into Live Big that, that they wouldn't even consider themselves church people. And what we do is we challenge everybody to take the words of Jesus, where he says it's better to give than to receive, and just to reprioritize our lives for four weeks and let the filter be, what would it look like for me to give more than I receive? And when we talk about giving, there's many aspects to this. We talk about giving financially, and this we challenge our entire church to give financially towards Live Big, and then 100% of it goes to nonprofits that are helping those in need. In fact, if you haven't given, I want to put up our, our Live Big page again, at theridgecc.com forward slash Live Big. There's a Give tab there. I want to encourage you, be generous. If there was, there's ever a time where, and we all know of the economic fallout over the past few months, uh, it, it's impacting everybody, but it's really impacting our, our nonprofits, our local nonprofits, because uh, their giving has really taken a dip. And this is a chance for us to just be extravagantly generous to them so they can continue to be generous towards those that, that they are helping. Another way that we want everybody to give is to, to give of their time and their talents to serve those in need. And uh, once again, on our Live Big page, there's all sorts of opportunities to do that. You can serve at one of our, our local nonprofits. If you don't feel comfortable necessarily uh, getting out into the community yet, you can serve other people from your own home. And uh, if you're watching this online, you can serve from where you're at. So there's all these opportunities to serve. Want to encourage you to do that. Now, today is going to be a special day as we're going to hear a great story from a very special person. Pastor Kurt Owens is, is really, when you hear his story, you're going to see he's someone that's really living big. Uh, Kurt is, uh, he grew up a pastor's kid, and then surprisingly, as you'll hear in just a minute, he actually became a pastor. Uh, Kurt has an undergraduate degree in business, a master's degree, and he's currently getting a doctorate. Uh, Kurt is also um, the head of three very high-impact organizations. Uh, he's in the process of planting You Flourish Church. He's the president of the Milwaukee Declaration, which is a group of suburban and urban pastors that are gathering together to break down racial walls through the lens of the gospel. And he founded uh, Bridge Builders, which is a fabulous nonprofit uh, that is committed to neighborhood transformation one block at a time, but he's going to tell you more about that in just a little bit. Kurt is uh, married to Dee Dee. They have five adult kids, 10 grandkids, and uh, you're just going to love his story. I pray that God uh, both encourages and challenges you through it. So without further ado, please welcome Pastor Kurt Owens. Thanks, Mark. Good morning. I am uh, honored and privileged uh, to be here with you on this Sunday morning. It is just a, a great honor and privilege. Um, as, as, as Mark mentioned, I, I am a pastor's kid, and uh, I did everything that I, kid, everything that I did to prove that only my parents were Christians. 
Uh, but I, I, I want to I talk with you a little bit this morning about some of the, uh, the cycles of poverty, the generations of poverty, because my, my story is kind of connected to that. And, and, and when we talk about that, I think one of the things that, that's interesting is the fact that, that none of us had anything to do with who we were born to. None of us had anything to do with where we were born and uh, none of that stuff. We just all arrived here. Uh, and, but, but when you begin to think about that is that we all have a history that we're tied to. And so for me, you know, uh, growing up in, in, in poverty and, and growing up to, uh, with my parents is that there, there's a history that I'm uh, connected to. And so I just want to talk a little bit about that and how my history is connected to uh, those that were more marginalized uh, in this country. And I, I have a, and when we talk about that, we talk about that across the, uh, across the spectrum. And so we're talking about education, we're talking about economics, we're talking about policy as well as, as housing. And so I have a graph that I want to uh, go over with you a little bit. And, and what we'll find if you're looking at that graph for those that are marginalized and the non-marginalized is the, for 1567, we had 100 years of regression for those that were uh, marginalized and 100 years of progression for the non-marginalized. And if you move down that spectrum, you'll see in 1667, now we're talking about 200 years of progression for, for those that are non-marginalized and 200 years of regression for those uh, that were marginalized. And as we get all the way to 1867, we're at a period of 400 years of regression for those that have been marginalized and 400 years of progression for those um, um, that are non-marginalized. And so what we see is that a hole has been dug. And so what we see is a 400-year hole that has been dug for uh, those that have been marginalized. And so in 1967, what we see is 100 years a progress being made for those that were marginalized. And so, but you still see that there's a hole that's still being dug. And now that we're in 2020, what we see is 153 years of digging uh, the marginalized out of the hole. However, you can see that they're still in a hole. And as you uh, look, if we look back at the, uh, at the next slide, we'll find the graph as we'll find that in 2067, which we're not there yet, but in 2067, we're finally going to hit the 200-year mark of digging oneself out of the hole uh, for the marginalized. And so it won't reach ground zero for the marginalized community until 2267. 2267 will represent 400 years of digging oneself out of the hole um, that it took 400 years uh, to dig themselves into. So, so hopefully, I, I, you know, that adds a, a, a little understanding and a little color to um, how the cycles of poverty can continue to happen. And I used to say that uh, there's a 400-year difference between the marginalized and the non-marginalized, but in actuality, you're really looking at about an 800-year difference because you have 800 years. By the time we hit to 2267, you'll have 800 years of progression versus the marginalized community just reaching uh, ground zero. And, I, and I'm saying that uh, because, again, for me and my story, uh, you know, my history is more um, associated with the marginalized. And, and it's interesting because my, my dad 
and my mom were both born in Oxford, Mississippi, and, you know, kind of grew up during that Jim Crow era. And, you know, my dad did not have the right to vote until he was 31 years old. Um, and so my dad grew up during this, this, this era, and he had a lens based off of his experience in, in Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, my dad, he had a third-grade education. He really wasn't um, allowed to have a quality education. My mom had an eighth-grade education. And they just figured if, if their children could finish high school, life would be grand. And, and so, so, so here's this thing. My, 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 my mom and my dad, they migrate uh, to Milwaukee. And when they migrate to Milwaukee again, they still have this lens of their experience of, you know, the era that they were, um, that they grew up in uh, from the South. And so what do you think they did with the lens that they had? They passed it down to their children. And so I grew up with this mindset and this concept that I could not become anything that I wanted to become. I figured that there would be some limitations to me. So I didn't have this idea, well, Kurt, you could become a doctor if you want to become a doctor. And you know why? Because I didn't see doctors in my neighborhood that looked like me. I didn't see lawyers in my neighborhood that looked like me. And I saw a lot of blue-collar uh, people uh, in my neighborhood, and it's not that there's anything wrong with blue-collar, but blue-collar just didn't appeal to me. I wanted to do something else, and since I felt like that I was limited to what I could do, some of the things that did look good in the neighborhood were probably not the best things in the world. Um, and, and so what was interesting is, you know, I had this, this, this interesting perspective because, like, for five and a half months out of the year, my dad was a construction worker where he made pretty decent money as a construction worker. And, you know, so for, for about five and a half months out of the year, we were very low middle class, and, 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 and but, but the other six and a half months of the year, we were living on government cheese and food stamps and, you know, so we were living in poverty. And my parents were, I mean, they were pretty decent parents, uh, but yet, you know, I had an environment outside of the house that I had to operate out of with, uh, you know, within that as well. And so growing up in the church that I grew up in, very strict church. Um, and salvation was really hard to come by. Salvation was like a two-part process. And I couldn't get past the second part, but nothing in the world. And Lord knows, I mean, I was begging God for salvation and like it, it just it wasn't happening for me. And, I, and so now I got this lens of God that he's this wicked dude that only hands out salvation to people he like. And so I'm like, screw this, just screw it. And like, and so I, I you know, I turned to my environment outside of my home. And I remember that I went walking outside of my home, and there was a lot of gangs in my, in my neighborhood at that point in time, and I wanted to be a part of a gang, and so I was like, well, you know what, I'm just going to start my own gang. And I went knocking on doors in the projects to start a launch team for my new gang. And so we, we, we had a gang at 13 years old. I'm gang banging at 13 years old all the way up through high school. And, 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 and you know, and when I become a young adult, adult, I take it to another level because, again, uh, you know, going to college wasn't a real reality for me and becoming anything I wanted to become was not a reality for me because my dad told me there'd be limitations on my life. And so, but what I did see that I liked was the people in my neighborhood driving Cadillacs and you know, big gold chains, and, you know, they had all the girls. That, that, that appealed to me. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I found what I want to do. And so I became a drug dealer, and I was really good at it. I was a darn good businessman. 
And, 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 and you know, for me, I just wanted, I wanted fame and fortune because when you grow up in poverty, like, you, you know, you, you, never, you never get to experience, you know, the good things that seem like that everybody else is experiencing. So I'm thinking if I just got fame and fortune, like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be the man. And, and because I was so good at what I was doing, people began to recognize me and began to know who I was. And, you know, while that was a good thing on one end of the spectrum, it was a bad thing on the other end of the spectrum. Because the people that wanted to rob me also took notice. And I was robbed three times at gunpoint. I was shot at. The pistol right to my head. I don't know how I ended up surviving being shot at with the gun right at my head and still survive, but it was the last robbery that did something to me because a couple of weeks earlier, uh, my friend and his dad, which just so happened to be an uh, innocent bystander, was robbed. And they were told to get down on their knees and they were both executed in the back of their head. Two weeks later, I got robbers in my house and they told me to get down on my knees. And I'm like, this is over. And I figured I only have enough time to just say, Lord, forgive me. I, that's all I said. I just said, Lord, forgive me. And when I seen that I was still alive after saying, Lord, forgive me, I'm like, man, God, if you get me out of this situation, I'm done. I'm done. And miraculously, uh, they, they started asking about the money because they had already stole all the, the, the cocaine. And after they stole all the cocaine, they, they still wanted money. And, 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 and let me just tell you about the poverty mindset because I'm thinking to myself while I'm being robbed, like, if I get them all my money, I ain't going to have no more money. I'm like, you're going to be dead. <laughs> but I wanted to hold on to my money so bad just in case I, um, um, I live. And I wouldn't give them the money for nothing in the world. And then eventually I just tell them, okay, I'll show you where the money is at. And, and I was on a, uh, it was a duplex, so I was on the second level. And so I make my way to the door. And I couldn't believe they were going to let me open up the door. They let me open up the door. When I opened up the door, I saw the sun. And the sun never looked so beautiful before because it seemed like I saw the sun in the sun. And, 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 and when they let me open up the door and I reached up underneath the banister as though that I had the money hidden underneath there and I flipped my whole body off the banister and I land on my feet barefooted. And I ran like nobody's business. And then I done something that you're never supposed to do in the hood. There's rules in the hood. I called the police. And the police come and they realize, they police are, they, you know, they, they, they pretty smart. <laughs> they knew this was a drug robbery. Like, oh, now you want to call us. Oh, they were giving me a hard time. They were really giving me a hard time. And I'm just like, man, I just want them to go because there's something underneath the mattress that the, that the robbers didn't get that I hope that the police don't happen to find. I'm like, Lord, just get it. I'm just praying. And, and, and they, they eventually leave, but I knew at that moment that I was done with that life. I'm like, man, I'm done with this life, man. I ain't built for this. And I, I was done. So long story short, I ended up taking a job. I, I realized I had to go, I had to pretty much get my first job. I had no education. I was a college dropout at that point in time. And so I took a job making $7.50 an hour after making thousands of dollars a week. Now I'm making $7.50 an hour as a delivery driver for a pharmaceutical company. So I'm still delivering drugs. 
But this time, they're actually going to hospitals and, and doctor's offices. And, and so one of the most amazing things began to happen is as I'm working for this company. This company is located out in Sussex, Wisconsin. And so really, I had never really spent much time outside of the central city of Milwaukee. So this is my first time actually being surrounded by a bunch of people who don't look like me. And, and, and my expectation as I went into uh, Sussex, because my route was not only in Sussex, my route was in Oconomowoc, Watertown, Jefferson, all up in there, Fort Atkinson. And in my mind, I'm like, man, these people, they, I'm bracing myself for the discrimination. I'm bracing myself for the racism that I'm probably going to get as, as, as I run my route. And the most odd thing happened. It's like nobody treated me wrong. And, and it was just blowing my mind. And my boss, who I worked for, happens to be a young white guy. He put his arms around me and just began to start loving on me. And he brought me in and made me warehouse manager. And then I started going out, like, hanging out in my social life in Sussex because people wanted to kill me back in Milwaukee. And I really liked it because I was like, man, and I would tell my friends back home, I was like, you know, when you go to the barber, white people, they will buy you whatever you want. <laughs> like drinks all day. I'm like, man, this is great. And so here I am, like uh, this black dude, I'm hanging out in Sussex Bowl every day, having a ball. And, 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 and so what ended up happening is I ended up developing a multi-ethnic lifestyle because now my so, uh, you know, socially I'm, I'm hanging with people who look different than me and I'm, I'm, I'm learning different perspectives and all of those different things. But, but my boss, again, he wasn't a Christian, but he began to put his arms around me and he said, you know what, I'll bring you into the front office and train you on anything that you want to learn if you're willing to punch out. And I'm like, well, <sighs> And now I'm thinking, I'm back to that poverty mindset because you think differently when you're in the hole. And that poverty mindset told me, man, this white man want me to work for free. And I'm like, man, Kurt, you don't got no education. <laughs> the only experience you got is as a drug dealer. Like, man, if you really want to make some money, like, how you going to do that? And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot. So I would punch out and I'd go up into the front office and he began to start training me on different things in the front office. And all of a sudden, somebody gets moved away and a position opens up. And nobody in the whole company knew how to do the job but me because he trained me for it. And he actually put me in that role. And that's when I realized, like, man, this guy's not dangling a carrot in my face. Like, man, he's real. And, and that's when I really began to start applying myself because I realized, like, man, if I apply myself, I could, like, man, I might be able to be, become anything I want to become. And I worked my way up in that company, uh, essentially to, like, second in charge in that branch. And at the time that I was moved into the front office, we went from the 63rd ranked branch in the country to number one. And the moment we went to number one and we stayed there for three months, I get a call from Jackson, Mississippi, from our corporate office. And they're like, well, you know what? We want you to come to Jackson, Mississippi. We heard about what you did in Wisconsin. And you're going to be over 13 branches all around the country. And I remember, remember going home that day. And I stopped at the stop sign. And I just started crying like a baby. Because I couldn't understand why God was loving on me. And I didn't pass the second part of the process. And so I go to Jackson, Mississippi, and within two weeks and being in Jackson, Mississippi, I get a knock at the door. It's late, it's dark, it's raining, 
And I opened up the door, and there's this older white gentleman at the door. And he's like, I would like to share the gospel with you. And I'm like, what? This old white man out here, and it's raining, it's dark. And, I, and, and so I, I tell him, I'm like, man, were well, you wasting your time because I already know about the gospel. I'm a pastor's kid, so you can go share the gospel with somebody else. And, he, and then he asked me the question. He's like, well, if you die today, what would be the reason why you tell God to let you in? I gave a whole bunch of reasons that ain't going to get nobody in the kingdom. <laughs> but then he showed me Romans 10 and 9. I'd never seen this passage a day in my life, and here I am, a pastor's kid, and I'd never seen Romans 10 and 9. And when he told me to read it, it says that if you confess with your mouth and if you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, that you shall be saved. And I'm wondering, how in the world did that get in there? I'm like, let me make sure that that's a King James Version. Because, you know, in the black community, especially in them days, anything other than the King James Version, you're trying to trick me. Oh, man, but this white guy, he came locked and loaded. I picked up his Bible, and it was a King James Version. I'm like, wow, how did that get in there? He said, read it again. I'm like, no, you got to be holy. You got to live right. You got to. He said, read it again. And he left me with the Bible. And I tossed and turned all that night. And about 4 35 o'clock in the morning, I'm like, man, if that's true, then I've been saved since I was eight years old. Oh, I cried like a baby because I lived my entire life on the outside wanting to get in. I lived my life on the outside thinking that I was too bad for God, that God didn't want me. And to understand and come to that realization at that moment, man, that God died. God the Son, that, that he died for, for me too, that I could have salvation. And so it was at that moment that I joined the local church and became an ordained minister and when I made the decision to come back to Milwaukee, it was at that moment that uh, we decided that we would plant our first church. And at this juncture, I'm living a multi-ethnic lifestyle, but however, ministry, for whatever reason, was looking like 99% black. And I always, you know, because I lived the lifestyle, I just always desired a multi-ethnic ministry. And, 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 so, and I couldn't figure it out. And so we planted my first church in 2005, and for whatever reason, again, just 99% black. And, and, you know, and then an opportunity came when we were getting ready to plant uh, a new church. I came on staff uh, with a predominantly white church uh, in the city of Milwaukee, and we were planting a church on the north side. And so I closed one church down that I planted came on staff with a predominantly white church, and I'm like, man, now I probably have the opportunity to plant a multi-ethnic church, which we were able to do. And, and when we did that, we had some launch team information. Those who did one in West Dallas, did one on the east side. Those went well. When we did one in my community, you know, God really began to challenge me. Because at that point, my wife and I were planning on moving to Grafton, Wisconsin. We figured Milwaukee, we had enough of Milwaukee. It was done. Our neighborhood was going to hell. Let's just go to the suburbs now. And, and it's funny because uh, I, I, we, we did this informational session and this guy from my neighborhood, he came and he just started attacking me. And essentially, I was the black face for a white church going to make a bunch of promises and we're going to leave. And it was funny because me and my wife were planning on leaving. <laughs> but 
as I was beginning to have this conversation with him, one of the things that began to dawn on me, I'm like, wait, hold up. He's talking to me like I'm not from here. I'm like, wait a minute, hold up. I'm, I went to Addison Middle School right down the street. I used to go to Wilbert's Bakery right on 37th and Villard. Matter of fact, this library used to be the game room that I played in. I went to Custer High School right down the street. Our church I grew up in is right around the corner. In fact, I live right around the corner. And it was at that moment that the world stopped because I heard myself say, I live right around the corner. And I went home that evening and I told my wife, I'm like, we can't leave. We got to stay. And she says, are you sure you've heard from the Lord? <laughs> I say, I think so. <laughs> so, so we made the decision to stay. And my church made the decision that they would adopt my block. And then we had a leadership change in our church. And with that leadership change in our church, they pumped the brakes and said, well, we can't take on any new initiatives right now. We don't, we don't have a leader in place. And I'm like, but I'm the face of a promise that I made to a neighborhood that I made the decision to live in. Like, man, we got to make this happen. And so that's kind of where I uh, formed and found, founded uh, Bridge Builders. We were a neighborhood improvement uh, organization. And as we went and started talking to neighbors and hearing their needs, we realized that there was more people in the community who were just like us than there was who were bad. And so we start coming along to residents and loving on them in ways that was just unbelievable. And we've hosted missionaries from all over the country. Uh, I started out thinking we were going to be working on houses, but God showed me something completely different. As we brought people to the platform, what ended up happening was a cultural exchange like I'd never seen. Because we're bringing people in from rural Iowa and places from rural Pennsylvania and suburban cities all over the country that had never experienced the central city. And so what I began to see is groups of people coming together that were meant to be apart for whatever reason, but they were starting to learn the humanity of the other. And so people were leaving, repenting, because they didn't believe that anything good existed in the central city. People in the central city was repenting because they didn't believe anybody on the outside cared. And this was happening before the racial divide and all of the political divides began to start happening in our country. And so it's just amazing how God had been stirring something up that actually bring people together as opposed to divide people together. And, and, and so I just really began to see some amazing things begin to transpire from volunteer to volunteer, from resident to volunteer, from missionary to missionary. In fact, I had one couple who met each other on the roof yeah, a true story. They were going to the same church, never met each other for four years. They met each other on the roof, and they got married about a year ago. So people are saying, you come to Bridge Builders, you might find a wife or a husband. But I've seen residents that have ministered to volunteers that come in because all of our volunteers are not Christian. And so the, 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 the whole idea behind this, this, this whole concept is the fact that God will use people who look differently than you, who vote differently than you, who may feel differently than you, that God will use that very thing to be able to change and debunk the perception of people. And right now we have a, a, a campaign that we're doing called Reclaim the Block where we are 
looking to acquire 20 properties um, because we've closed down drug houses, we've closed down prostitution houses only to see them arrive again. And so now we're at the point where we're going to buy the prostitution houses, we're going to buy the drug houses, and we're going to turn them into lighthouses and help spearhead home ownership in our community. But, but here's the thing. I mean, the whole gist of this and everything that I do and, and how God has shaped my life, I grew up with a dad who had a lens about the other. And so as I went into life, I expected to receive what my dad said that I would receive. And it's funny because the two greatest things that happened in my life just completely debunked the perception that I had. In the secular world, A young white man saw to it that I would become a corporate executive. He was not a Christian, but God would use him to open my heart up for the gospel. When I go to Jackson, Mississippi, God uses an older white gentleman, the very person, again, that's supposed to cause me harm, but he actually introduces me to the gospel. Now, and I want you to notice this because uh, Jesus did a lot of this himself. He always addressed the, the, the physical need before the heart was ready for the gospel to be able to come in. But the fact that it would come through the hands of what I would perceive to be my enemy just debunks the whole concept. And so here's the thing, and I'm not saying that to say that racism and discrimination don't exist. I'm not saying that to say that there's not bad and good people on both sides of the aisle. All of that is true. I'm saying that God, he protected me and he shielded me from it because who would know that I would be a a pastor of a church that was predominantly white? Who would know that? But here's the thing, and here's the power of the gospel. It's, It's because it allows you to be able to cross over to the other aisle and to love on people who are different. You know, this is why Jesus says, love your enemy. And, 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 and so, so those people that we perceive to be different or that are on the other side, what does it look like to live big and allow the power of the gospel to cross over and to love on those who think differently? What does it look like to allow the power of the gospel to cross over and to love on those who vote differently, feel differently, think differently, act differently, all of those things? It's the one thing that we have in common, ladies and gentlemen, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while we're hearing voices on the left side and we're hearing voices on the right side, the one voice that I think that binds us all together is that of Jesus Christ. And so my challenge to you is that as you are in this season of living big, would you allow the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will you allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to cross over and love someone on the other side of the aisle? May we pray. God, you are good. We love you and we thank you right now for your mercy, for your grace, for your love, for your kindness. God, I thank you for this group of people here, their hearts, their desires. God, how you're shaping them, God. And I just pray right now, God, that you would allow your word, God, to just run rampant in their lives, God, and that they may live out uh, their calling, God. 
And, and God, that the impacts are made throughout their spaces and their places, God, and just, God, that you would just move right now by your power, by your might, God. We need you right now in this country, God, and we pray, God, that you would use us, God, to bring healing and unity. We just thank you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rich Community Church's podcast. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to host you at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and more about our kids and students' environments, visit us at theridgecc.com. That's theridgecc.com.